Welcome to the Disruptive Enterprise from MTM Technologies, a podcast series that discusses technology disruptions and uncovers how businesses can leverage technology to address these disruptions, turning them into powerful opportunities for sustainability and profitability. This series is brought to you by Citrix. MTM Technologies is a Citrix Platinum Solutions partner. Please welcome our host, Gregory J. Turner, Chief Information Officer and Chief Revenue Officer at MTM Technologies. Welcome to our continuing podcast series at the Disruptive Enterprise. Today, we're going to continue to talk about disruption, but specifically, again, about quantum computing in light of some very new and recent information. And of course, to help me explore this topic is Bill Clayman. Bill, as a brief reminder, is an advisory board member for MTM Technologies, and he is the Executive Vice President of Digital Solutions at Switch. Welcome back, Bill, to the Disruptive Enterprise. I'm so excited to be here. It feels like it's been forever since we talked last time, Greg, and I, and I, I missed this interaction. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I get an email saying, Bill, guess what I want to talk about some more? And I'm like, what, what is it, Greg? I want to talk about quantum computing. So apparently, this is still an interesting topic for you. And I'm, I'm really glad that it is, Greg. So I'm, I'm curious, what's, what's on your mind when it comes to quantum computing these days? Well, Bill, I guess the question that is on a lot of people's minds, but you know, specifically my mind, is... Did Google reach quantum supremacy? All right. So we're going off of a let's let all the listeners here kind of get kicked in a little bit. Right. So Google uh, uh, recently announced, um, I think just like in mid-October, that it came out and its 53 qubit computer performed in about 200 seconds an arcane task that would have taken about 10,000 years for a different supercomputer built by IBM, none other than, um, uh, you know, roughly, you know, roughly, like I said, 10,000 years to actually complete, right? And, and it's really kind of ranked one of the world's fastest and most efficient supercomputers that are that are out there, right? So all of a sudden, right, we're in year 2019, haven't even hit 2020 yet, and, and we've got somebody on the top of the mountain waving the quantum computing supremacy flag. That's Kind of big news, man. That that's kind of a big deal. Despite what we're going to be talking about here, you know, moving forward, it's a really amazing scientific achievement, right? Where you know, Google called their shot. They came out on top. They're saying, you know, it's a big step forward towards, you know, actually removing that any of these plausible arguments that make quantum computing impossible. And we did it, right? We're up here. We did it. It's amazing. 53 qubit computer, 200 seconds, arcane task. It's amazing. So everyone's out there celebrating and thinking it's amazing. Now, do I think that they reached true quantum supremacy where, uh, you know, some of their machines were actually doing quantum entanglement, um, you know, really generating those powerfully random numbers that they're able to actually do these compute cycles? I'm on the fence. I'm really on the fence and maybe even leaning towards a little bit saying that I'm not sure if they necessarily did. Right. Because the follow up report and obviously IBM came out saying, whoa, 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 pump your quantum brakes here for a second, because I don't think you did necessarily what you think you did. Um, And they said it was just a couple of days ago, right, October 21st, they came out and said that by tweaking their own summit machine, their own supercomputer, making some changes, they were able to do it faster about two and a half days effectively, saying that this threshold for quantum supremacy, doing something a classical computer can't, still has not been met, just simply by doing some tweaks on on the summit machine. So the argument becomes, have we really 
created a machine that's capable of um, of maintaining something known as quantum coherence, right? That that actual state where the quantum bits actually operate together. Remember, it's not just getting one of those qubits to work together. The more you have, the more challenging it is to maintain quantum coherence. It's. I'm still going to go out there and say it's a very, very elusive concept. Maybe we've scratched the surface of it and we're seeing what's truly possible around quantum computing. But again, in reality, quantum computers continuously are beset by errors that always need to be uh, corrected for. And it's devilishly difficult to maintain these qubits for any length of time, right? So they tend to decohere, right? They lose that delicate quantum nature and that quantum state. Much like smoke rings break up at the slightest air current, that's what's happening with these qubits. So, you know, these guys are waving the flag at about 200 seconds, and I'd love to pop the hood open and see, did you really maintain quantum coherence? What kind of error correction are you using? And you know, it's 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 also really, really important to know like, that it's not necessarily a perfectly functioning quantum computer here, right? Especially if IBM really did come back and say, you know, we tweaked the supercomputer machine here and we're able to do some of this other stuff that you say you're only a quantum computer can. Because um, we have to remember, everybody listening, I love this concept. I, I think that we're, we're getting really sort of excited and ahead of ourselves, maybe not unlike when we start talking about like 2G and 3G and 4G and 5G kinds of traffic when everyone's like, LTE is kind of, you know, kind of advanced out there. Is that 5G? Well, not really. It's only in maybe between 4 and 5G. Um, but again, these machines themselves, they're extraordinarily delicate, really, really delicate. And engineers have to isolate the quantum chip from any sort of noise in electrical, magnetic, thermal, it doesn't freaking matter. Um, and just the temperature in the room can render the whole machine useless. So, you know, aside from error correction, aside from, you know, we can't be completely sure of every calculation these quantum machines make. Um, you know, you can still obviously uh, you have to you have to consume this extraordinary power, right? And you still have some of these mistakes. So I, I don't know. Deep neural networks uh, are, are are something that I, I've been taking a look at quite a bit, where they use mathematical complex systems to learn discrete tasks. But you know, this is where this is where these kinds of science tools become a real play. So, Greg, I want to hear your thoughts on this. I'm on the fence. I don't know if they necessarily reach quantum supremacy. And if it really is true that IBM came out and they did cast their doubt and they're saying we were able to do this with a classical computer, then, you know, I don't know. I don't know, man. It's it's one task that they've done. Let me ask you this. So IBM's position is you know, based on the definitions that people are using for quantum supremacy and quantum computing, they're saying, hey, if we're able to do this with a traditional computer model, um, then it can't really be the example of a quantum computing uh, solution or quantum supremacy. However, it seems to me that if we've taken something that until IBM tweak something and, you know, finger quotes, right, you know, would take 10,000 years to do or 10,000 hours or whatever the large sum of numbers was. And we're able to do it in 200 seconds. You know, that seems to me that it's an order of magnitude improvement in computing and whether or not Google was able to do it with 53 qubits working with complete coherence or there were 48 of them or 49 of them seems to be immaterial to me. The The result seems to be greater than the process by which it got there. What do you think? So uh, I, I like I like where you're going with this, right? You're, you're suggesting that um, 
we have evidence of quantum supremacy and evidence of quantum computing. I'm not denying that, right? It's it, despite the fact that it's elusive, you know, it, it's certainly possible. Um, and again, maintaining that quantum state, if anybody is listening to this and you haven't Googled yet what a supercomputer looks like, again, I'm going to reiterate what we talked about last time. I absolutely think it looks like a chandelier that should be in Tony Stark's house. Um, these things, these things are amazing and they look really, really cool, right? But they also operate in extraordinarily conditions. So I, I don't know. I, I'm not sold on this, right? Because again, uh, you know, the impetus for change happens when other things occur in, in nature in our world, right? So you've got Google who came out and says they've created a quantum computer that's capable of doing this calculation. Well, you know, IBM came out and said, well, hang on a sec, let me take a look at what you were doing here. Uh, and maybe this wasn't their focus. Maybe that 10,000 year old, you know, equation or process wasn't something that they were necessarily looking at. And then they started to focus on it as soon as Google came out and made their statement. Um, I want to go back though, right? I, I, I don't want to sound like I'm the negative guy here. And I don't want to get an email from my friends at Google saying, Bill, what's up, man? We thought we were buddies um, because we are, and I'm a big fan. I just want to kind of stay on the centrist path, right? Where I'm a little bit more cautious as far as the approach. I feel like maybe we did reach a milestone, but if this quantum machine was truly operating in its state, quantum supremacy, as they would call it, um, you know, I, I'd want to see more. I think I'm the kind of person that says, you know, you've got to win. Good job. Uh, we've heard a, you know, detraction from that win from one of your competitors, but I, you know, win nonetheless. It's, it is, like I said earlier, it is a great, um, you know, scientific achievement. It's a big step towards actually creating a machine that can do quantum processing. But again, I want to make sure that everybody does understand that quantum machines, uh, it's not necessarily designed to do what a classical computer might need to be able to do, right? These are really advanced mathematical equations. These are really advanced, uh, you know, genomic formulas that they might be looking at. So it's not just out there to play Halo or, or, or Grand Theft Auto or whatever you want to do. Uh, it's really designed for very specific types of mathematical computations. And to be quite clear, there are classical computers that can do those mathematical computations better than a quantum computer, even in its quantum state. So it's early. It's early. I, I'm 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 excited that people are waving the flag. I really do think that this is going to be something in the near future. I mean, listen, back in 2013, 2014, I wrote an article around quantum cryptography for a um, a defense magazine, actually for the United States government. It was a defense magazine, um, and you know it was the first time ever that they were able to do a line of sight, point to point, right? Don't stand in the middle of it, uh, an actual quantum cryptographic encryption between two points, right? Now, obviously. Uh, this is an application for the modern network, but right, it, it gets really much more complex. If you take it like look at layer two, layer three networking, obviously you, you turn a corner and this thing isn't going to work anymore. Um, but that was in 2013. We're still developing elements of quantum cryptography that we can be able to use potentially later on. It's a slow process. It, it really is. It's something to get excited about. But what I'm for me, Greg, and everybody listening, what I'm going to be sold when we can actually create real practical use cases and results. Like Google comes out in a week and says, we were able to create a genomic sequence for this healthcare patient that was able to create the most unique cancer drug treatment ever potentially possible, never before being done by a classic computer, nor is it possible to do this with a classical computer. That is what I'm going to get sold, right? Where we're finally using use cases or deploying use cases 
where there's there's like there's no questioning it necessarily, right? I'm sure, maybe there might be some questions, but um, when we get to a point where where these things are actually doing something, I, I don't know, Greg. Maybe I'm being a little bit too a pessimist, which is really not like me at all. No, I don't. I don't think you're being pessimistic. I think that's you know we. With anything uh, that's being developed, I think we need to look at the benefit of what it is that's being developed. And I think, you know, picking a really good use case like, you know, some kind of uh, cure for a disease or some kind of mapping of of the gene sequence that will help us in in developing a cure, I think are are, you know, the right kinds of things and very noble. The I think from my standpoint, I'm a little, you know, kind of going back more to my uh, theoretical, you know, mathematical days in college and computer science days. And I'm kind of hung up on the notion of whether or not a classical computer could do it or not. And and I guess from my standpoint, have we thought of every condition as humans? Have we thought of every condition known to computer science of what a classical computer could do or not do? And and certainly aren't those conditions really the the you know the basis of how we do investment in technology today? Um, you know some of our partners like Cisco and others have you know created incredible uh, parallel processing and core processing to help with network management and network security. And you know those advances uh, uh, five years before or ten years before would have been thought to be impossible in the computer framework because of the way it manages heat uh, inside the device um, that I think, you know, I, I feel like it's too limiting of, of a definition, Bill. And that's where I'm kind of looking at this. I'm I'm excited that a major player like Google certainly is, has in made investments, has taken the risk to create a framework where uh, quantum computing can be researched and developed and continue to uh, help uh, open some doors and create uh, new ideas that could introduce more development so that we go from 53 to maybe, you know, 124 qubits and so forth. Hey, Bill, give me a moment. We'll be back in just one moment. The Disruptive Enterprise is brought to you by MTM Technologies, a disruption solutions provider operating in the U.S. with technical expertise and IT experience, working with clients as a trusted advisor for over 30 years. 